Okay, <clears throat> so, hello, Christian. You can speak up whenever you feel like it. And uh, I'm introducing Christian on my podcast as my cohort in marijuana uh, enthusiasm. Indeed, indeed. We're yeah. going to get high today. Well, yes, we're going to get higher. We've already started getting high. I don't want to uh, in any way uh, pretend that we are high. Do you think we're high? I'm, I'm okay. Not quite there. Not quite there. But what's the stage where I can't remember why I went to the bedroom, but I'm still not high? Of course I'm high. Um, and I'm high all the time. I'm high all day long. I'm high at work. I'm high at lunch. I'm high on my break. I'm high if I can get high, basically. So I'm only not high if it's inconvenient or really going to be hard to do it discreetly enough that people know I'm smoking a bowl. So... If I go to the movies, I have to smoke a bowl in the parking lot. I'm not going to a movie, not high. If I'm going to an event of any kind, sporting event, a fucking Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going high. Life's just easier high. You're right, you're right. And uh, that's why I enjoy the convenience of this vaporizer as well, because I can bring it into the movie theater. Oh, see, my whole life, marijuana was taboo until it wasn't. And now it's not that it's not taboo, but it's accepted. The whole time it was taboo, you had to be crafty about everything you were always doing to get high, no matter what. You couldn't even think about going into a movie theater with marijuana to smoke it. And now it's a regular occurrence. So your generation has the advantage of not being stigmatized, self-stigmatized, by your decision to smoke weed. I needed weed in life. I wasn't going to get through life without weed. No fucking way. But I always had to talk myself into not being a bad person for smoking dope because it was stigmatized. Now... All my friends were cool and everything around me was fine. The whole culture was great. So, of course, I was choosing it. But I still had to tell myself that this isn't wrong. Their opinion of it is wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, it was being forced on you that it was a, as a bad thing to do. Yeah. But I started experimenting with meth and shit. And I started knowing, well, this is probably not yeah, as good for yeah, me as weed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is a difference when you start going other places. The weed culture is, I mean, it's kind of like the bar culture. I mean, you run into damaged people, you run into people who are, I don't know, feeling lost in this world or feeling detached from this world or some other, you know, point of dissociation. And you also run into people that are just perfectly normal, you know? Just well, that's true. And, and not only that, you also run into architects, engineers, yeah. fucking doctors, mm-hmm. uh, janitors. Yeah, it is very similar to the bar culture, and it's like how some of, some of the most broken people you'll find, but also just perfectly normal people, you know, of, yeah. of all varieties. Well, and I'm also... I'm personally fascinated by the thought that we like twisting our reality that it actually appeals to us to get drunk because we like being somewhat less inhibited or whatever drunk gives you when yeah Yeah. i just feel like everybody you know if you're looking through the same lens for too long you know it's just nice to change it you know to get a different view for a little bit yeah i never thought of it that way that it's almost just putting a new lens on the camera for an hour or two, mm-hmm. just so that you're not yeah. always watching the yeah, same I, high I, definition. I always feel like it's always just been a matter of perception. Perception of stress, perception of the world. I feel like alcohol doesn't really take away your stress. It just kind of allows you to perceive it differently, so it's not so bad. It allows you to feel different for a little while. I agree. Al- alcohol brings out another side of you from within. You emerge as something more buoyant, more boisterous, more confident. If you're not that, or... I'm, well, fuck, alcohol is always poor decision-making time for me. Yeah, exactly. My worst decisions, I'm drunk. Yeah, alcohol, okay, all of alcohol them. definitely isn't a good thing. No. But, hey, 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 you're not welcome on the podcast.
You know what? What are you, what are you barking at? Go back to sleep. Pause. Well, with, with your generation, alcohol has gained the correct perception from you. You all have the right idea of it. Like you don't you don't do the reckless shit we did. I, I don't even want to tell you. I my first blackout. I'm 17. I go to see Rocky Five or Four, whichever one, with four of my friends. I own a Volkswagen convertible Bug. I drove there. I remember getting there. I remember getting into the theater. And I remember spending the entire movie throwing up in the men's room. And then I drove us home. I don't remember driving us home. I'm 17 when this happens. When I get home the next morning, I find myself waking up in my bed with a wicker basket that has literally vomit crust in a diamond pattern on my shirt from me holding it while I barfed into it. And so I called my friend and asked how we got home. And my friend goes, you fucking drove us home. This happens at 17. And I don't realize I'm an alcoholic until I'm 45. Damn. I know. So your generation is a lot smarter than alcohol. Well, well, I mean, you know, not, not to put any names out there, but, you know, my close friend's very similar. The first time he blacked out, we were drinking Bacardi together when we were 15. Uh-huh. And... I would say our awareness is correct, but I would say our ideals and the way we use alcohol is is the same as every generation. Well, but alcohol drives you to binge behave. Because, exactly. He ended up, by the end of the night, he ended up, you know, falling into a ditch and, you know, ended up in a pile of throw up on his basement floor. Yeah. Well, what I like to see in your generation is that you won't. You won't engage with alcohol without realizing that you'll need help at the end. Like, you're not going to drive home drunk. I didn't even think twice about driving us to the movie theater and back home. I mean, we just, we didn't have the, alcohol made a lot of things more fun in high school. Pretty much everything. Because we were all so fucking insecure. And, you know, at 18, Colorado had legal alcohol. So we were drinking when we were 13 because all our brothers and sisters that were older were buying it for us. So I, <laughs> I came to marijuana as a way to like calm down because by the time I got to college, I was fucking pro drunk, seriously. And I was so, <laughs> I remember like my first week they sent me down, I had a fake ID. So they sent me down to the liquor store to buy liquor for the hall. There are 10 of us. And I came back with $140 with alcohol. I thought it would be enough to get us started. And nobody could drink more than like a drink or two before they were fucking hammered. Because these were all like overachieving superstar high school students. Yeah. None of them had partied at all. And I, except for the sophomore. The sophomore and I were drinking a fucking under the table. I had 18 beers before I even fucking turned around. And these guys are like having a Bacardi and Coke and they can't hold their fucking liquor. And I still didn't think, well, maybe I'm an alcoholic. And then eventually, after like becoming a bartender and what else did I do? Poker, gambling. I mean, alcohol has always been pervasive in my life. Those are very alcoholic. Oh, no. I mean, it's as if I wanted to find activities that alcohol would be fine with. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't like slow anything down until I finally had had enough of cocaine. 
Well, not so much cocaine, but cocaine and meth. And this was 2004, 2005, 2006, when <clears throat> I inevitably end up in drug rehab. And what's funny is I go to drug rehab to realize I'm not actually a drug addict, but I am a fucking alcoholic. <laughs> it was the first time in my life that just having someone ask me some questions that made me think about what I was using my life to do, I was like, yeah, I don't know if alcohol has always been the best thing for me. But so I quit drinking for 15 years. And now, so many things in my life have changed, and so much of my life has gotten fucked up, like, mystical, um, that I don't even get scared by alcohol anymore. It just doesn't even tempt me. I'm not even interested in it. Like, I'm not sure who I was that I needed to drink so fucking heavily. Yeah. You know? But I never have wavered when it comes to pot. Like, pot will... Pot, to me, is as consistent a presence in my life as dogs. I, I mean, I will always have both. Yeah, yeah, it's just always there. More than a car, obviously. More than almost anything. And so what I'm curious with you, especially being significantly younger than me, is how much did, or how did marijuana become a daily staple for you? Well, see, I, I was lucky in the fact that... And I'm going to take a huge rip while you tell me this. So, marijuana has always been around me ever since I was young. Oh, parents? Yeah, so my mom smoked weed. Well, first of all, my mom had me when she was super young. So, my mom had my older brother when she was 15, me when she was 17. My wow. My youngest when she was 19. So, your mom's almost, like, in 20 years, you and your mom basically be the same age. Yeah, my mom's 39. Uh, 30, actually, 38. Are y'all close? But, yeah, yeah, me and my mom were kind of close. My mom, I don't know, my mom going through the trauma she went through as a youth, um, my dad was much older than my mother was at the time, you know, she kind of got frozen in time, so my mom kind of kind of has immaturities in a way that, you know, kind of affect her behavior. I really like that phrase term that you use, frozen in time, that's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is just kind of what happened to her. I mean, being raised that way, it kind of rubbed off on me in a way, but um, my, so growing up, um, my family was poor, and we always lived together. My grandma, my uncle, my mom. Mm -hmm. And my grandma always smoked weed. My grandma's always smoked weed since he was a kid. So I just grew up watching my grandma smoke weed. Or joints? Uh, joints, pipes, mainly pipes. Um, but uh -huh. Pipes, joints, all, all different kinds of things. We're talking like 90s old. Yeah, we're, yeah. I'm just trying to put it in relation to what was out there in the universe. Yeah, we're talking about like early 2000s, maybe uh -huh. like like right, right when weed was starting to become medically acceptable right. in Colorado. So, the, you know, pipes were available. Pipes and joints, though. Weed, yeah, yeah, pipes and joints. Maybe. And head shops. There definitely wasn't any doubt. There were probably 10 head shops in Denver then. Yeah. How many are there yeah. now? Well, there were, A thousand? Yeah, well, and my family was located <laughs> in the Springs at that time as well. Oh. Are um, you a Colorado boy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I was born in Colorado Springs. Yeah, so my grandma just growing up, and then I didn't get interested in marijuana until probably about the age of, like, 11 or 12. Even and with all the family familiarity? Yeah, hmm. so I really looked up to my uncle in a way. Like, okay. growing up, I was always close to my uncle. Me and my brothers, we always really looked up to him. And I remember I, uh, the first time my older brother smoked weed with his friend. I wanted to smoke weed with him so bad uh -huh. because my uncle smoked weed. We just thought that was just the cool thing to sure. do, you know, following the person we looked up to the footsteps. Um, so then, probably a year after that, when I entered seventh grade, you know, you start, you start, you know, entering your juvenile phase where you start getting curious. And that's when I started looking around on the porch and I started finding joints. And this sure. was, this is when my grandma had a med card. So there was a lot of marijuana in the house. Uh -huh. So I started stealing joints, you know, stealing bowls, you know, 
and uh, essentially smoking weed um, behind my behind my family's back at first. And it was one of those we know, but we won't yeah. talk about well, it. With my, him. my mom didn't know. My, I I really hid it well from my mom, but my grandma knew, of course, because I was stealing from her. And <clears throat> yummy. And so she would notice her sacks are getting pinched. Yeah. So like, or I would get a pipe from like my friend. I would hide it like under my bed, my room. She'd mm-hmm. find it, and like the pipe would disappear. But I right. wouldn't get told anything about it. Uh, I've had similar experiences. Yeah, but then I was 13. A year later, I was in eighth grade. And I got in a right. big argument with my mom. And uh, my uncle said, Christian, I need to talk to you. Took me right outside. Mm-hmm. And he said, get in the car. And he drove me right to the dispensary. And bought me an eighth of weed, uh-huh. a, a pipe, a lighter. And said, whenever you get angry, just go outside and smoke weed. And I was pretty much supplied with weed from either my grandma or my uncle for years Interesting. After. Yeah. So wait, so you were trained to use marijuana as, as an anger mechanism. coping mechanism yes, at, 13, at thirteen, before you really even had true emotions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just a you're just a walking voice changing exactly, exactly jerk off box. Exactly. At that, at that point, <laughs> so here, have some weed, and it'll all make less sense. Exactly. That's but so, you'll be cool about it. So my my yeah my approach my uncle's approach to me was yeah. Um, and my grandma's as well. So, and then I. And started, had he done this with your brother? No, I mean, yeah, they were already smoking weed together. Okay, so I, I don't think he. Necessarily they were bringing you this. into the club, as it were. Yeah, they were bringing me, essentially bringing me to the club. They're like, I already know you already smoke, pretty much bringing it out on the table and being like. But then after that, like every time I was low, like even me, and my friend, we would ditch school to go home to ask my grandma for a bit of weed that she'd give us to smoke. And so you liked it right off. Thing. Oh yeah, I loved it. And you, weed. did you get high right away? Did you get high that first day? So the the first time I smoked, that wasn't the first time I smoked weed. The first okay, time but, I smoked weed, I got a little bit high. Okay, because yeah. I don't remember getting. I mean, I remember the first time was with Sheila Caney, and I first time I okay, I was seventeen. First time I smoked weed, because I grew up with Just Say No, like that whole Reagan Nancy the the campaign Just Say No was Just Say No to drugs, and it was in our schools every goddamn five months. Yeah. Like there was something going on to tell you not to smoke weed. But when I finally realized that most of the cool people in school were smoking weed, I was a senior. I'm sitting in Sheila Caney's car, and I was so in love with her that I was like, I, I can't remember if I got high or not. But the second time, I got so high, I fell asleep in the park. Like, couldn't find my way home. Yeah, I and I lived a block away. Yeah, see, see, for me, the memory's kind of fuzzy. I don't remember really remember how high I got until the first time I smoked out of a bong. <laughs> and I remember the first time I smoked out of a bong, I, I lied. They were like, you smoked out of a yeah. bong for well, totally. Like, totally, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, did, I wasn't pulling the thing. And yeah. I clouded it up like just to take a normal hit. And the guy's like, no, 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 you got to finish it. Pulled the thing, and I got the biggest bong rip ever. Oh, and then this is what like getting nice. Three more after that. And then I passed out on, the, on my friend's couch at the time. Uh-huh. And one of the older kids, I think I, was, I think I was 12 or 13 at this time uh-huh. as well. One of the older kids was trying to draw on me. Yeah. And I woke up with like half a dick and a big squiggly line because the dog <laughs> came and attacked him because he was trying to draw me while I passed out. Well, at least you had a good dog in your life. Yeah. That's as important as good weed. And I, so what, what kind of social dynamics does that create for you? Are you just smoking weed with your friends from then on? So at that point, weed was just recreationally legalized in Colorado. Yeah. Um, yeah. So every every kid So you're just in an environment where it's getting more and more yeah, okay. It's getting more and more okay. And then shortly after that, when I was in eighth grade, I took my first dab. And that's uh, when I was like I like uh, this this is a step above. Wait, you took a dab in eighth grade? I took a dab in eighth grade. Holy yeah. shit, man. 
I didn't take a dab till I was 42. Yeah, I took I took a dab. Changed my life. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And since since then, I've taken countless dabs. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I do see that we have an equal palate in terms of uh, especially 21st century marijuana integration. Um, I'm I'm sh- I had no idea you were. Uh, I mean, I assume you're a weed smoker in fucking orientation. Oh, and yeah. just for the podcast's sake, uh, Chris and I do work together, and even started on the same day. Damn like straight. we have <laughs> we have been on Team Christian John since uh, day one, and there has been a, a clear like kinship of whatever soul, uh, even just in, in demeanor since I've met you. But, uh, and which is one of the reasons I'm going to tell you some stupid ass shit I went through because I'm afraid you're going through it. But nonetheless, all of that said, I just assumed you were like a casual pot smoker. But nobody who was like an eighth grade got my first fucking dab smoker. I wonder how many, does that make pretty much half of you out there now that kind of person? If it was that available, does everybody have that backstory now? I would say it's a select few. I would say it's a club still. I would say me and some of my friends do, but most people don't. Okay. I would say a lot a lot of kids nowadays they don't even like smoking weed. Like, so it's creating the backlash. Mm-hmm. I know it will. Eventually there'll be a generation that's like, fuck you weed smokers. Yeah, well most Stone. most people most people ruined our country. are like, Oh, I don't really smoke weed, but I drink, you know. Really? Yeah. So does your generation choose a vice to stick to? Are they are they not vice uh, affiliated? I, yeah, I, I think it's not necessarily a vice. I feel like it's more of a I, I, I guess uh, desensitization, you know, like some just something to, to numb them a little bit, you know, something to you know, either loosen them up socially or make them forget about, you know, school or whatever. Well, sure. I mean, it's always been a take my troubles away release. Exactly. For all, I mean, but every 17 to 26 year old needs that. I just I feel like. I just feel like now, I feel like uh, alcohol is just used to heavily rely upon in my generation um, through social gatherings and parties and meetings. It's just like a crutch. You, know, you mean to get the social lubrication going? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to drink alcohol, and after that, you know, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out from there. But you know, that's just kind of that's the you know kind of the common denominator between everybody. So, a party or a gathering without alcohol would be a gathering that's just too tense and nervous because nobody's loosened up yeah, enough. Yeah, it would be too boring, or you know, same be, fucking shit yeah. for my generation. Exactly. exactly. What I worry about with your generation, though, is how much less face to face your social time is composed of. Ours was all face-to-face, except whatever telephone time you could rip away from your fucking sister. So you either were in front of somebody, talking to them, seeing their entire interaction, or you were one step removed. You guys now have almost ghosting, and, I mean, there's just so many different ways to know somebody today other than just sit at a table with them. And my generation looks at yours and thinks, you look isolated. Because you you don't need to be anywhere but with a screen in front of you to be social. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, and so in yeah. a room full of ten people, I would think you're all fucking looking for your phones. Exactly, exactly. Because you're uncomfortable. Yeah, and a lot of times it can end up that way, and it does end up that way with a lot of people. I mean, I just like when it comes to that, I'm not a very good person to gauge on because I've never been very technologically oriented. I've never on my. You don't phone use your phone lot. like Brisa does. No. I'm not on my phone forever. I'm not on my phone a lot. I'm, I don't really do anything, you know. I'm not addicted to any kind of social media or anything like that. Well, I don't. I'm not even saying it's unhealthy. I have. It's just. It's what separates us. It's what your generation is dealing with and has as its own um, experience. And it's a very that mine did. Double-edged sword because it is. A, it is a way to communicate and connect with others. Absolutely. It connected the world for fuck's sake. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's also a way to isolate yourself, you know? It can, it can become, as someone who has been addicted to pretty much everything, it can become a compulsion of, of, of ruling out what's right in front of you, is what I see. People who, who are looking down miss what's right in front of them. And uh, I don't know how I feel about it, because it connected the world. It's, it's the richest source of information there's ever been. It is the greatest thing that's ever happened in my universe. But everything has, you know, yeah. well, everything I mean, has taint. Everything has taint. Except Phoebe, not you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good dog. It's a good dog. Yeah, but, but I suppose everything that, that's great in this world is the same way, you know? Marijuana. Yeah, exactly. It could be used for good things. And Think about where this could be in 100 years. Yeah. I mean, with, the, with enough attention in the appropriate channels. All right. So do you know what a Schedule One substance means in this country? I, I guess I know like like the basic meaning of it, which is, isn't it high, highly addictive? Okay, so there's harmful. a qualifier to yeah. get into the group, right? That that's true. And addictive is part of it, mm-hmm. but it's it's become such a a threat to our communal society's goodness that you're not even allowed to use it in research purposes for discovering its nefarious inherent properties. It is to the point where. It's it's like it's anthrax. You you can't even have it in the lab. That's a substance that I guess heroin deserves that placement. It's on that list. Meth's on that list. PCP I think is on that list. There's like some weird ones yeah, that you I'm don't ever hear about. Well, fentanyl and that shit might go. Yeah. Well, no, they won't because that's that's the that's the industry. Light that motherfucker up. That yeah, has been sitting here waiting for somebody to share it with. And that is, is that the golden goat? Oh, uh, strawberry cock. Oh, there's a, there's a golden goat half one somewhere that I, I couldn't resist. I had to fucking light that up. But strawberry, you know, strawberry cough is the first bag of legal weed I ever bought. Damn. Yeah. I bought strawberry cough and granddaddy perp. Yeah, some of the first legal weed I ever smoked. Or uh, the first weed I ever smoked. What's, what's your favorite cough. strain? Do you have it? I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not, though. It's called Chunk. Uh, yeah, that's cheese and, uh, what? Pineapple Express or something? Afghan Kush. Oh, fuck. That must be the sturdiest of the plants, because that stuff's... Mm-hmm. Afghan Kush is mixed with everything. Oh, yeah. And it's... You say what you will, but... And some, some designer weed now is obviously grown for the genetic effect. But... The first hybridization was to make plants that were fucking stable and, and flowered right. Um, a really close second to me, though, is another one you don't see anymore, is Chocolope. Oh, my God, that's mine! I can't believe you said Chocolope! That's mine! I can't believe you said Chocolope! Oh, that's a good straight. Oh, it is. And that's it. You're right. You see it now and again. And whenever I see it, I go get it. But there was a place down. When I first started buying my weed legally, I went to two places. I went to Trenchtown, and I went to a place on 23rd and Park down by Coors Field. And they always had Chocolope. And the dude was the coolest dude. He gave me like a volcano filter and some other shit that was just, I mean, oh. And he talked me into Chocolope. Like, uh, at the time I was big in Maui Wowie and Sour Diesel Land. And once I tried Chocolope and Headband, he also got me to try Headband, but Chocolope's by far the superior weed. I can't believe you said Chocolope. All right. Well, that makes me feel better about taking a hit off this joint. Yeah, Chocolope is an amazing strain. And uh, I-95 used to be really good when I used to see a lot. Yeah, hey, have you tried ND4? Yeah, yeah. ND4 is impressing me. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple really good runs with that one. 
Flow is great. Flow is great. Yeah. But I have. I, I don't know if the original flow still exists. I don't even. Whatever know. I get now that's flow is disappointing. No. Yeah. No. I'm going to say that. And I've tried flow number seven and flow even flow limon, which was I bet one of the weeds I was I was uh, smoking the most when it was just some guy in a Honda. Flow limon feels very old school to me. I just yeah. never knew its name. Chocolo. Do you have a least favorite weed? I mean, there there is a couple strains that uh, I, I I don't have I I don't. It's not necessarily because I don't like them. It's because I seen them too much and I kind of got burnt out. Okay, so you've burned yourself out on what? I can name one for sure. Uh, Blue Dream is one of them. Okay, I can uh, totally respect that. Uh, and Ghost Train Haze. Ghost Train Haze is everywhere. It's everywhere, but there are Agent Orange. I just kind of Agent Orange. Yep. Uh, what else can I put on that list? Uh, 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 the. Uh, chem dog. I, I don't even. Yeah, chem dog. I don't like chem dog. I've never liked it. Now, I it's, mean, now it's gelato. That's oh, gelato is fucking everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere now. Uh, no, the one I'm thinking of is uh, is. Oh, I'm not thinking of it. Uh, lilac. Lilac diesel. Diesel. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Uh. Even. What's what's a strain like uh, that I'm starting to not want to s- take home? I would say even uh, uh, I shouldn't say Maui Wild Sour Diesel because I still buy them regularly. But I'm always somewhat disappointed when that's what I'm walking out of the door with instead of something like Clementine Diamonds and Golden Goat fucking sap. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Golden Goat. If it's I, the reason I like Blue Dream and I can appreciate that you're tired of it. Blue Dream is I think the easiest sativa to grow. That's no, why it's I everywhere. I was about to say, I, I grew it one time. Oh, you so did? It has a deep attachment to my heart. <laughs> yeah, but... but it, I just I got burnt out of it. it. It has always given me... Well, between Blue Dream and Sweet Island Skunk is the other one. If if I just was switching back and forth between those two, I'd never lose the creative burst that I feel like I get from Sativas, well, which is what I really smoke for. I actually forgot about Sweet Island Skunk. Sweet Island Skunk's a great that's weed. That's amazing. It's it, never around like anymore. Parent of Golden Goat? No, the parentage of Golden... Oh, actually, it's something. I think it's Island Sweet Skunk. Yeah, and what was the one that fell out of the pot, or fell from the other plant? I mean, it's a yeah. dumb story how Golden Goat got started. It's that yeah. Kansas dude. Well, right. So, when you said to me, this is when I was like, you're not just a weed smoker, you're a fucking weed connoisseur, was when you said to me, how is it that you're finding all the original strains? Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. Do you know how much work I put into finding these original strains? How do you know that those are the original strains? Because if you know that, maybe you have contacts that know how to find stuff like Alaskan Thunderfuck or whatever else I used to smoke in the 90s that I would like to see again. And see, I feel like like a lot of people have taken a big, because I do, I do have a lot of friends who are in the, the extract side it's of nice. things, who press a lot of rosin, you know, they work for seven. You know people hours. in the industry? Yeah. Yeah. And um, they're actually taking more of a step towards, you know, hi- hi- hybrids. Um, yeah, I know. Like, uh, and for what purpose? To try to come up with the perfect weed? Yeah. I mean, is that really what the pursuit yeah, is? exactly. Like, That's the thought? My friend runs a whole grow house, and not one of his plants are any original. Like, like he doesn't even have any, any like, cannabis cup winners in there. He doesn't have any Bruce Banner or anything like that. It's all just hybrid stuff, like lemon papaya cake and this and Look, that. Look, I love that your generation is resetting and starting everything over as if they've got to invent the wheel. But there has been some achievement in the industry until now, that's worth at least retroactively familiarizing yourself with. 
I mean, Colombian gold and Acapulco gold are joints you should smoke in your life. And you shouldn't be worried about putting them together to make Colombian Acapulco gold. Yeah, exactly. It you doesn't need to happen. It should be how it is. Well, but you also have to, to for an industry that's lived under a cloak of, of secrecy and, and illegalization, you have to... You have to give weed its day to dance in the rain. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this is what it's going to do, it's going to explode into a bunch of weed. Nobody knows what it's named after. Fruity Pebbles, for fuck's sake. At some point, I'm glad the industry has people who care about it enough to try to make it better. You know? And I can only see this. Yeah, it, it, as, is, it is. It is nice to see marijuana to get some love. And, like, especially... For me, it's not even the variation of strains. It's more the facets of, like, now really, really getting how intricate into, like, the live butter, the live resin. Yeah. The live oh, my God. And the people. Kid in a candy store. Yeah. And the people who make these things, they're so passionate about them. Truly. They're, so they're passionate they're, about they're, the details between them. And it's really, artisanal. Yeah, exactly. And they, they go to, you know, the highest of effort to make quality products that we can enjoy. Couldn't agree more. The fact that marijuana has come to that golden day is, is amazing. We're, we're truly right in the heart of it. Yeah. Literally in the heart of it. And and I agree. It just reinforces to me that this was always the community that I should have been a part of. Because regardless of the conduit that connects us, the people here have the right bent on life. Including you. But that doesn't mean you're not going to knucklehead your way through a bunch of other shit, too. I mean... The way I look at it, if you didn't come to life to be challenged and set up a whole bunch of shit that you're going to fall over and learn from, then really, what are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you were on a coast coaster ride, who has a coaster ride in life right now? Uh, almost nobody. I mean, even the people in charge are fucking everything up. That can't feel good going home at the end of the day. You're leaving an impact on the world that's a net negative time after time. Oh, yeah. But, you know, maybe they're just getting high at home dealing with their shit. Yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> Did I you see American Beauty? No, I didn't. American Beauty has a scene where, uh, uh, what's that actor's name? Uh, Kevin Spacey buys uh, government-issued what must be press rosin that the kid next door has for like 6,500 bucks or something. And it's the first time I ever thought, wow, there's other shit besides plant. I mean, I knew there was like hash and whatever, but I, I figured that was all just key for, you know, some other plant treatment. It got you higher, but you just felt like you were denser smoking. Yeah. But all of this, the first time I ever knew there was such a thing was that movie. And then I walked into trench down and one day after buying probably, seven pounds of marijuana there. She asked me, why do you never buy concentrates? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, seriously? <laughs> uh, here, she gave me some, uh, some uh, uh, crumble. Said, put this on your next bowl. Uh -huh. I was like, all right. So I put it on my next bowl and I'm like, whoa, I'm fucking high, man. <laughs> like, I hadn't been high in a while because I've been smoking. Yeah, you know, it was like, high. God damn, I'm high. And, uh, and after that, next time in, she gave me some, uh, shatter and another little gram of crumble. And I was going up to the mountains. I smoked it all on the weekend and was back down there buying, and I've been buying concentrate ever since. In fact, 
it's just been in the last year that I bought all that green because the prices went down to like 60, 80, 90 bucks an ounce. I was like, well, I might as well just stock up while it's cheap. And then I didn't smoke any of it. And I don't even feel like this is getting me high. I enjoy smoking a joint, but compared to that dab of clementine or even that one afterward, whatever that was, I think it was the member berries because I put the tool on top of it. You're, you're right. I feel like it doesn't really get me high, but I feel like it's more of a seasoning. You know? Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. It's like, yeah, your food shows up at your table, take a bite, and then decide what it needs. Exactly. What it needed right. was a little clementine diamonds. I didn't know that until I got here, but it does. All right, so in 1937, Congress faced the Marijuana Tax Act. And what's fucking clever about everything that happens in this goddamn world is there was, there is, okay, let's start with alcohol prohibition. How did they make alcohol illegal? You don't have to know the answer to this. This is not a test. No, I, I don't. I don't. They had to pass a congressional, or I'm, I'm sorry, a constitutional amendment to give themselves the power to restrict our use of alcohol because it's not in the Constitution. There's nothing in there about what I'm doing individually, putting stuff in my body that can be controlled by the government. What the fuck is that about? What are you going to tell me not to drink milk next? Literally. Mm -hmm. How is this even possible? Well, we gave ourselves the power. And so, because we uh, have been through this once, Propaganda about uh, about alcohol became the, the 30s, early 30s method of demonizing marijuana, which was for the most part because <clears throat> it threatened the timber industry, which you've already said you knew. So to make things official, those with power in this country have to then get the legislation to say, okay, well, your way will be now law and everything else will be illegal. So therefore you now win. And that's what the fight has been. DuPont and whoever else, Carn uh, Mellon, uh, is it Carnegie Mellon? Yeah. Pretty sure they're the finance behind it. Um, all of the interests in the entrenched industries that could be threatened by a hemp industry getting power came to Congress and said, here's why it needs to be illegal. So they developed the predecessor to the DEA, some drug authority bureaucratic agency who can then determine well if this substance is going to exist it needs to be taxed okay so we'll put a law in front of congress that says if you own marijuana and you want to uh, deal in marijuana well you're going to have to pay taxes on it no problem we'll uh we'll pass that law but and not, not only marijuana, but hemp as well. Yeah. Well, I should call it hemp. We shouldn't call it marijuana. Yeah, it should be called hemp. At this point, yeah, it's referenced as, a, as hemp as, as a textile more than it is a, as a recreational substance or drug. Correct. And the properties that threaten the timber industry have nothing to do with what gets you high. Exactly. It has to do with what the plant and with what fiber. What could do to be turned into paper. Correct. I mean. So the, 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 the funny thing is that the actual cultural issue is the getting high part. But the entire interest in what's keeping it illegal is commercial. And so it really has nothing to do with the stigmatization of being high. 
However, because they made it illegal to, or because they, it's illegal to own, and now if you are going to in any way uh, uh, deal in marijuana, you have to have this tax certification. Well, now they've created a law that is no longer viable. This actually is important because in 1969 it gets challenged. For up until then, it basically says marijuana is illegal in every form. Marijuana can't be uh, uh, owned or, or used. And so if you're caught with it, you go to jail. And the reason they were so quick to pass this law is they had two guys come in front of Congress. The first one, Anslinger, was, uh, <laughs> was a family who had lost a whole bunch of territory to Mexico and had written all through the 20s and, and teens editorials demonizing the Mexican people, the Mexican country. Yeah. And because his family had been wounded financially and, and through reputation by a bunch of Mexican incursion. Yeah. So he's a Mexican racist who goes in front of Congress to say that it's a Mexican problem, that the culture of the Mexicans is, yeah. is basically centered around this issue. Oh, and also that it makes women uh, want to fuck black dudes, which is in the movie. Uh, God, I'm so high now. It's in that movie, Reefer Madness. Yeah. Well, and then another thing of, of like, the demonizing the, the Mexicans um, and Anslinger mm-hmm. is at the time we were using Mexicans for cheap labor, cheap farm labor, especially on the West Coast. Right. And the Chinese, yeah. believe it or not. It was coming from and, Asia and from up, up down south. And the Mexicans had a habit of smoking marijuana because during Prohibition they had no way to get alcohol. So it was the cheaper alternative after, you know, you worked a hard day in the field, you know, you go home and you relax, you smoke a joint. It grows in your yard, for God's sake. You yeah. just go pick it. And... Because the downturn in 29, the severe, you know, the, uh, the Great Depression happening, someone has to be blamed. Everyone but white people got blamed. And first on the list would be the immigrants. Uh, a country full of immigrants blaming immigrants is such great irony. But all of this sets up a, an environment in which Congress is ready to act, if nothing else. They're ready to make some statements. So when they call up the medical doctors, there's two. Munch is the bad one. The other guy, the other guy is, is a representative of not the American Medical Association, but whatever the other association of doctors is concerned that all of this is happening before any real medical professionals have been consulted. Yeah. Nobody's asked the doctors if they're in fact working with true science or just Passing laws based on fucking well, propaganda. At the time, marijuana was still being used as a medicine, and to restrict any kind of control of medicine goes against the, the Tenth Amendment. Obviously, and it goes against the credo of the doctor to do whatever it is to help a patient's uh, health recover, uh, regardless of, of law or legislation. My point is, this guy has 20 minutes on the floor and is dismissed as irrelevant and somebody who clearly doesn't know anything about marijuana because he has never been able to experiment or test it or anything else. So he really doesn't know, but that's his point. We don't know. So why are we acting? We don't have anything to found this movement on. Yeah, THC was barely even being discovered at that point. So then they call in Munch, who's not actually a doctor. Uh, he has uh, educational cert- certification, but he's not a medical doctor. 
Well, Munch has inserted THC. I'm not sure how, but I know it was inserted into their brain in liquid form into the heads of 300 dogs, two of whom perished. And this is the science, he says, is the reason that marijuana needs to be illegal. And that's all that's on record as to why Congress said it's a threat to our medical health. That's it. That is literally the testimony. Furthermore, there's more testimony. He says that because he had to actually experience marijuana to be able to determine the effect on the dogs, because he's not a dog psychologist, this is all on record. He says that to Congress. I'm not a dog psychologist. But after two puffs on a marijuana cigarette, I turned into a bat. It's in the fucking testimony. It's in the goddamn Congress testimony. Looks like he was still smoking marijuana. What the fuck, man? Yeah. This is the foundation of the law that says this is, well, 20 years ago. This puts us in jail. I, was, I turned into a bat. It's in his fucking testimony. Yep, and at that current time, uh, it was um, up to 20 years in jail and up to $20,000 fine. And uh, the, the legislature wasn't rewritten again until the 1970s. So the Tax Act passes. You can't own it. It's taxable in, in all form. Basically, what this does is it allows the cartels to emerge. Because it's not like it's going away. Now it's going to be managed by a subculture of power and authority. Yeah. And... Yeah. Now, Guns. now it becomes a value, uh, you know, a valuable source to be trafficked. Absolutely, goddamn straight. And as the culture gets richer and richer, please, it's time. It is time. Um, as the culture gets richer and richer, and wider and wider, well, the interest in, well, what else can we do with this phenomenon of mind transference moves on to the CIA, the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, think about what our liking of this type of activity has produced oxycontin to fentanyl all those synthetic heroin derivatives all that opioid shit for what exactly when it could all just be we would how healthy a society would we live in if there was no pharmaceutical industry but a robust marijuana industry Exactly, and I'm not saying that that pharmaceuticals, you know, should be something to be avoided because I believe I, they're very I am <laughs> but he's not well I I am I, I don't put many industries lower on my list of deviant supervillains than the pharmaceutical well, they're, industry. They're, yeah, exactly. They're probably one of the worst. But I'm just talking. The, I'm not talking about the industry. I'm talking about pharmaceuticals. Are you a farmy boy? No, I'm not either. No, but I, you know, I, I do believe without opium we couldn't have surgery, and without surgery, a lot of different people would die. Okay, surgery for um, hmm. Yeah, I believe some crazy shit. I shouldn't be sharing all of my thoughts with you, but I do think opioids in the, or at least, uh, what's, what is the M1? Uh, give me some morphine. Morphine for surgery, fine, especially battlefield scenarios. I mean, I, I get having that product, but the fact that you can access it in any scenario other than my leg just got shot off, uh, that makes me, uh, I don't know, Pandora's box and all. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I fucking don't know. And I use drugs all the time, dude. I'm a hypocrite to say that fentanyl's worse than goddamn meth. It's not. Fentanyl's I mean, not worse but, than... But, but I also I also do believe you're right. I mean, they, they help people, but uh, on the ratio of help to hurt, they hurt way more people than they help. Yeah, and so... If the pharmaceutical industry had our best interests at heart, there'd be all kinds of 
uh, pop up local, get past your addiction, we can help. I mean, places sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry just to help limit the damage that their product does. Exactly, but instead they try to get more people addicted. Yeah, I know. They, they, and they go to the doctors and say, I don't think you're prescribing this for enough things. Do you know if people come in with headaches? Fentanyl can help that. Yeah. I'm guaranteed. Um, and that's, that's what sickens me, especially because it, when you get right down to it, everybody is chasing money. The thing that freed me the most in life was stop giving a shit about money. I don't care to have a dollar more than it takes to pay to eat, have heat, and feed my animals. The rest of it, I'll just waste on stupid shit anyway. So I stopped pursuing money probably, I don't know, 50, nah, not that long ago. 2014, when I walked out on the digital marketing agency, I had started this business with another guy, and it was you know, pretty successful. But I hated it so much, I fucking hated it. It was digital marketing, and all you were doing is figuring out how to trick Google. That's the whole point. And, uh, and I was pretty good at it. I mean, we made some money. And then one day, I just, it's like, I hate my job. I hate my life. I hate fucking all these things. I just stood up, put my finger in the air to him and said, I'm leaving. Never went back. Never even talked to him again, which was awful. I mean, I was his partner for fuck's sake. Well, I mean, that's an inspiring story, though. <laughs> I bet you there's so many people out there right now that wish they could do that exact same thing, but they have, you know, things buying them or some fear, you know, to essentially do what they want to do in life. Yeah. Well, what it said as I got in my car was I've, I've crossed a bridge, I've burned it, and I have nuclear bombed it. So now the situation comes down to I either have to completely change what I care about or I have to go find a substitute for, for this and fucking start hating something else. So I just said... Okay, I'll sell my car. I'll sell my fucking... I'll, I will live as, as cheaply as possible so that I can think about why the fuck I'm so miserable having achieved stuff that I'm supposed to achieve. Like, why is it every time I target the shit that society says, this will make you happy, I get there and find myself miserable? Like, <laughs> at some point you, you think, all right, I'd rather be homeless and at least with my integrity than chasing down shit that keeps making me feel like I'm fucking awful. And yeah, and then you feel like a slave, and then you feel bad about yourself. Well, and, and the, the cycle of, of money to happiness, if, if somebody can tell me that that bridge can be crossed, uh, you'll be the first. I don't know where to find happiness in, in, in anymore, John, honestly. Well, and you know, that's actually what my most curious question to you is, I went through an entire generation of being told I was exceptional, we're the best, it's great, it'll all work out. You're a white dude from America, for fuck's sake. What are you complaining about? You got everything. And I really did. But never was I a happy person until I stopped giving a shit about anything that America told me was going to make me happy. And I'm now very happy and love myself. But I know you don't. Because your whole generation has been trained worse than mine. To fucking isolate and feel what's wrong with you instead of what's right with you. And yeah, see, that's my problem exactly. Is um, I, I don't love myself. Well, it's maybe not necessarily I don't love myself. So I'm just not happy with myself. And you're right. And I, I look, you know, I look into other things for happiness. You know, 
like uh, escapes in life, you know, whatever it might be. It might be marijuana. It might be a vape. It might be the relationship I was just in. You know, I, I think I, I was relying on other things to make me happy. Do you know how far I took that escape in life shit? I would tell my parents I was in graduate school when I wasn't just to keep them from asking me why I was wasting my life playing cards, yeah. you know, being a bartender or whatever. Because I didn't have an answer for them. I didn't have an answer for myself. I didn't have an answer for, you know that Talking Heads song? Well, how did I get here? I'd wake up and go, what the fuck am I doing? Like, it's not, it's not my fault, but it is my fault. But it, I could change it, but what am I going to change? Like, yeah. I would have these existential moments, and then I would just be like, all right, that's too much to think about. Yeah, well, that's, where, that's where weed comes right? from. Right? Smoke some weed. a lot of the time for me. But yeah. if you live your life by default, where do you end up? Nowhere by design. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that, that's exactly what I'm trying to do in life. Is I looked for other happiness and other things, and I found other things that did make me happy. But right now, I'm trying to take a, a step back from life and analyze things, analyze my situation, and try to become happy with myself. I am, I am at least encouraged by your generation's self-awareness. It's too high. But because of it, you'll never have moments that you're not at least willing to check back in with yourself. Because you check in with yourselves all the time. Which is good, because my generation just said, oh, a little too much thought like that, you'd be in the psychiatrist's office, man, let's go play some golf. Yeah. And so you never really took yourself seriously on an emotional or a mystical or spiritual level. You just sort of let it go. But your generation's a little more, I don't know, inwardly attentive. And just by what you're saying, nobody at your age in my Circle of friends could have said the words you just said. Wouldn't have happened. I, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, like especially in my circle of friends, they they think I I, I say these kind of things too much. They also believe I'm what? very self. You're the sensitive Jesus. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very sensitive, and you know, I I grew up very sensitive. Well, I'm very aware. Of I grew up sickly sensitive, like to the point I actually wondered if I was gay, and in so much denial that I was putting all of my denial on my lust for women. Because I was so fucking sensitive, maybe I was just, like, I can cry telling you a story right now. I can pick out about 10 stories in my past that make me weep just from the emotional ground that they lay. So, when it comes to sensitivity, the role of a sensitive male in America, there is no role. There's no place for you to even look to think, oh, I might fit in there. I mean, I went so far as to think I could be gay. Maybe I fit in there. No, I don't. I am heterosexual. But. And I mean, for, for me, my sensitivity is not the fact that I made my cry all the time or I'm very emotional. Well, and I'm not trying to say that's weak or gay no, or exactly. anything. I'm not that could sound exactly. like that, and I don't mean that. Exactly. That's not, that's not the connotation I'm trying to put under this either. But um, I guess what I'm mainly trying to say is um, I'm insecure in myself, and I'm very sensitive because I am sensitive. I, I'm aware that I'm sensitive. Okay, but why not just embrace I'm sensitive? But I, I do, and I understand that. That's what I'm trying to embrace. But, I, you know, when people, I do. when people might poke fun at me or when people might make jokes or when people might say something that, you know, is generally true that hurts my feelings, I, I take it too much to heart. Yeah, so you don't take criticism well. And exactly, and and you know I, I don't either. And I express it as anger, or express it as annoyance, or I might do things that make other people angry. But you know, I'll even do worse. I'll yeah. I'll get uh, like uh, uh, passive aggressive with you. Like yeah, I'll let it fester. It's the same. With you me. know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of just getting rid of it and being angry and saying, yeah. "What the fuck, dog?" 
Yeah, and I feel like I, I let it fester for whatever reason it may be, you know. Yeah, I'm going to turn some light on. Or I think I can open these blinds again. I don't think she barked as much. Well, if you're, uh, so I never felt like I could embrace my sensitivity. I had to suppress it. I had to knock it down. I had to be strong. I had to be a man. I had to be whatever, you know, that those were all the roles that I kept aspiring to try to achieve. Like, am I weak? Am I built wrong? Like I was so capable except to fulfill that sort of powerful dynamic of blustery. I can do no wrong guy. I always thought, well, there's a lot to think about here. Yeah. Like, I don't know why we're so in a rush to, to fake it till we make it. Why don't we figure shit out and then go try stuff? I mean, I was always way more detail oriented, but I don't know. And I mean, it's the same with me. I'm very detail-oriented. I always pick off little things. Like you said, I let things fester. I get passive-aggressive. And I, I, I guess I don't necessarily do it from a place of, you know, I'm an asshole. No, I, it, was, it was more like I just I didn't want to get in your way. or like exactly. You already gave me something to think about. I'll go think about it for a while. Or, oh, I don't even know what to yeah. do with that. And, <laughs> and like, I feel like I truly have a good heart. I feel like it comes from the fact that like, I am sensitive. And I just, I just don't want to get hurt. Yeah, it's easy to be vulnerable in places where other guys seem to just waltz right through shit. But you want to know what, you know, the fuckery of that is, is if you act like that and you, you let yourself reflect those shitty behaviors because you're being weak as a man and being wrong mm -hmm. to yourself, mm -hmm. you end up getting hurt anyways. Yeah, you no, lose, I know. Because you lose the people around you. You do indeed. As a matter of fact, I've been through that cycle. Because why, why should Five they, times? Yeah, why should they put up with that Full shit? reset? Yeah, fuck, you're yeah. not, you're not genuine. You're just, and, and yet... You're, you're what it seems like society wants you to be. You're just not really that person. Yeah, and you might be a loving, caring person, but, you know, the, the, the fact is, is that shitty behavior is no excuse, you know. No. And, and, so that's, and so where that sent me was into a cycle of being with nobody. I was like, every reaction I get, I either misread and misreact, or they mislike me and I get hurt. Like, whatever reverberations I'm getting from the universe are all wrong. And I, I literally spent six, seven years without friends, without contact, doing drugs, feeling sorry for myself, thinking I fucked everything up and not really wanting to quit life, but not wanting to engage it because I would just create another scenario that would collapse on me and it would be mostly my fault, but never intention, just a situation that I could have done better. Had I these things to do differently, it would probably all work out, but I did these things, so it all collapsed. And in that state framework of self-pity, I started having all these dreams. Like, the kind of dreams that were both seductive, like I kind of wanted to go to sleep, but would make me think so goddamn much, it was hard to wake up. Like, because I'd just be dominated by my dreams all day long. And this state lasted for two or three years. I, I didn't work. I sold all my shit. I, I just was thinking about life. And, 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 and I wish everyone had the luxury to spend 40 years just thinking about life, as I basically have done. But for whatever reason, it was my dreams that finally got my shit together and started saying, you've never been comfortable just being who you are, which is completely understanding and forgiving of everything. Nothing do you hold against people. Whatever you're going through, I assume you got led to where you are. I could have probably been led there too. Like, 
whatever's going on, we're all way more similar than we are different. Exactly. And I always felt so fucking different. And the more I've been able to tell people I am forgiving, understanding, and kind, you tell me what I should do with my life. Be a priest? I mean, with a bunch of pedophiles? No thanks. It's like, where do you go? What do you do? Become a teacher? I mean, I have an instinct to go teach or be a psychiatrist. What I have an instinct to do is help people. Do you need help? I don't really need help, but if you do, I'll help you. I don't really care what we're doing. You need a tire change, a roof patch, a goddamn stitch stitched. I probably wouldn't be very good at that, but whatever. If I can help, I'll help. And I come home feeling like I did something. And so my whole life now is strictly that. That's all I ever try to do, is find a situation I can be helpful. My day goes right. And I now have a better set of friends, a better set of entanglements, a better set of like social confidence, social centeredness, balance in life. Nothing sets me off. Nothing makes me upset. I'm never anything but exactly who I am. And it's fine. Nobody out there does anything but resonate toward you as a real person, if you're a real person. You have no idea how many people you might just be nudging away from you who would be right next to you if you were less concerned about being emotional or whatever. Like, whatever you really are on the inside, just be more of it all the time. And watch how much the universe says, that's what we wanted out of you. And yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm trying, you know, take the time that I have, you know, in my life right now, figuring things out to just, you know, look in the mirror and take a reflection of myself to exactly, you know, reveal what I have more on the, on the inside, more than, you know, maybe creating an act or, you know. Yeah, because if you have a good heart, oh, let me ask you this. When was the first time you thought, I don't measure up, that guy's or that girl or whatever is better, smarter, something else than me? What did you ever think? I'm second to them. Can you think of a time? Probably kindergarten. Right. School does it for sure. Because we all start getting stacked up. It's great. It's A's through F's. I mean, you can't help but go look at what that kid got on his test. You immediately are evaluating yourself against your competition. But for me, it's even further back. It's money. Because when I was four or five years old, my sister was three or four. My parents gave me a quarter allowance and my sister 15 cents. And for the first time in life, I thought, well, I'm better than Emily. I was getting more money. And she didn't understand why. And I was like, because I'm older than you. She's like, but I can't be older. How am I, how am I going to be older? What do I have to do? I want 25 cents a week too. I said, well, you don't get it. I mean, it was like, it was the first time in life I thought, I'm better than my sister. And... I had a reason for it, which was totally invalid. I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> Am I better than you? <laughs> uh, but if you're, if you're someone who really in your heart knows you're not better than anybody, live in a world where you're constantly being told you're being measured. Even if you're being told you're the winner, you're still creating losers everywhere else you look then. Yeah. It's not a good place to be. Yeah, it's not a good place to be, especially comparing, being comparative to others it's not necessary we're all here for whatever reason we're here for there is no comparison you're unique you're as prime numbery as it gets you're having a human being experience and you're worried about what other people fucking think about it I mean who gives a shit have the experience and if you can't accept these things for yourself how do you expect anybody else to accept you either and that's when and you know that the, the cliche I probably hate the most because it's probably the truest thing I could never understand until lately 
is you will never love anyone until you love yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I always thought I was this piece that had 97% of the fucking ingredients that just needed to find somebody else who had the other 3%, 90%, and we'd be perfect together. So I was broken saying, fix me. Yeah, exactly. Instead of saying, I don't give a shit what you think, but if you like me, hey, this is what I do. Come see me. Because spending all the time alone finally made me realize I was so codependent on the world to tell me things about me, to make me feel better, that I didn't know how to tell myself that stuff. Exactly. And I, I, I grew up with a young mother who you know, didn't necessarily treat us all too well, didn't necessarily give us a lot of independence and, you know, care. Sure. So, it, so you're figuring shit out from an early age. It took me a long time to find myself and be comfortable with myself. And as a you're just starting down a road where you're going to be challenged. I mean, your, your whole life's in front of you. So even thinking you're centered now, well, you know, you're going to be a different person 20 years from now. You may be just as centered, but you'll have evolved. You'll have changed. You'll be, exactly. you'll be somebody different. And I don't, I don't believe, I, see, that's the thing is I don't believe I'm centered now. I believe I just appear that way. Well, oh God, can I relate to that? Um, don't, don't be afraid to be off center out in public. Don't, don't get so composed that composure becomes your defense mechanism because it did for me. But see, the, I, I just feel like it's not necessarily composure. I just feel like I have a natural seriousness that comes off as I'm, I'm, you know, a center. Like, too philosophical? Yeah. Too, too deep? Too philosophical. Not Don't go talk to Christian. You'll be there for an hour and a half. He'll ask you about what your not favorite color is. Not necessarily in that sense. Not necessarily I, I'll say something that might be a joke or that might, something I might not mean, something I might not be so serious, and somebody will really take it to heart or something. <coughs> you know, get angry. <coughs> so, I really think I was angry. So you get misinterpreted in lighter moments as being too serious? Yes, most definitely. I don't think of you as, as being jokey. And I use jokiness as a defense mechanism for sure. Because it's easier to just laugh a situation into nothingness than it is to deal with it. So I would much rather completely belittle and, 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 uh, and uh, undermine something than actually come face forward with it and deal with it. So I was annoying in the sense that everything was a joke. Yeah. And then, and then again, it's like you know, you know, my friend, he, he's that extreme. Like you see, he's always joking, always making a joke. Yeah. So it's like we. Uh, that honestly, that's why. That's why he's a good friend. That's probably why Dude. he's been my only friend for Dude. so long. I, I hate to hit the pause button, but you have got to try that golden goat. Oh my oh, yeah, god! I'll try it right now. How far? We're we're an hour. We're just over an hour right now. I don't know how much more uh, uh, history lesson we have to get through, but there's one more point of contention that's at least interesting to today's current vibe. So we'll do that and discuss anything else you want. But, fuck, man, I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, me too, me too. All right, quick pause. <clears throat> okay, we're back. I have been... I, that, the, the point you're making about how, at some point, they want you to become a supervisor, or they want you to move up the chain and become part of the, the, the company or whatever. And... I was targeted for those promotions the day I was applying. Like, they were always ready to put me in the next position. And I was always thinking, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And look at this. Oh, I'm the first one that's ever been promoted this quick. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I take some ego away from all that shit because you can't help but think, oh, this recognition means something, at least socially or society-wise or whatever, right? But I always hated the fucking jobs. Oh, yeah. It's because you had to supervise people and tell them what to fucking do. I don't want to tell people what to do with their lives. I don't want to tell people what to do ever. And so here now that's my job. I have to do this 40 hours a week. I hated it. And I failed at it all the time. 
but I kept getting put there. And the compensation usually is not worth oh it. Oh my God, is it not worth it? Yeah, again, money's never worth it. Money is never worth it unless you can't eat or sleep with warmth and feed your dog. I mean, you have to get by, but once you're there, everything above that is, is threatening to your soul and stability as a human being on this planet. And I'm convinced that the whole money factor is what makes us comfortable with measurement because everyone's got a different number in their bank account. We're all really comfortable with the fact that that's the structure we live in, but, and we judge work by it. Deservedly, no, and not even accurately. I mean, but you can't help but know that everybody has to have money. I mean, it's just, just this way that we're all in a game of how much am I worth? And I stop even caring. I don't even, like, working at Home Depot part-time at, at minimum wage is as low as you get. Like, yeah. there's no less contribution to the system than that. I mean, it could be, what, at a gas station? But people need fuel. If they'll pay you minimum wage for it, then I guess it has value. But to me, I had to baseline my expectation of myself. I just want to work because I don't want anything attached to it to feel like it scrapes my identity. There's too many ways American corporate structure is designed to beat you into the fucking ground. Yeah, destroying you. Yeah, and, it, and if, you, if you so much as buy into the idea that it will help get you where you want to go, at some point, you're the guy that gets beaten down, unless you become CEO. I mean, really, it is the, hard, the higher up in the Home Depot structure I got, the less comfortable I got. And I went to that assistant manager fucking training I believe it. I believe it. Oh, it was a room full of what am I doing with myself? And yet, here I am thinking again, well, this is what success is. Fuck face. Figure it out. You're supposed to fit in here. This isn't where you don't fit in. You pretend you fit in at a very minimum so that you can keep achieving. And I'd pretend to fit in until I'd walk out with my finger in the air. And so now that I live where a 99 cent salad is fucking thrilling because I'm like, sweet. I'll eat that for three days. Uh, you know, who gives a shit? I don't give a fuck if I eat a Roost Chris or ever do anything other than what feels right to me. You know what I mean? And if I need money, yeah, then I better figure some shit out. But what do I need the money for? It better be something I really need money for. Like, what am I doing? Do I need to buy something? Like a vehicle to travel across the country? Well, then maybe I should, uh, you know, take some overtime at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way I look at it is, I, if I'm living according to anything other than what I need now and what I will need in the immediate future, ugh, never retirement plans, never any of that shit, never made sense to me. But at some point, I'm sure I'll be like, I'm 88 and I'm still working at Home Depot. This is uncomfortable. Do you know that guy's 88 in the plumbing department? Yeah. 88. 88. Do you want to be working when you're 88? I don't care if it's at Home Depot or in goddamn your garden. I'm not sure I do. I'd rather no. be smoking joints and telling kids to get off my lawn. Mm -hmm. But, <clears throat> so this idea that your mom after a certain amount of time in the pit is expected to move up. I mean, you've been here 10 years, Karen, the, uh, we, you know, you're senior, senior dealer by three years. I mean, I can see where it's like, what do you want us to do with you? And she hates it. She dreads those days. <sighs> I, and you can see, you know, it's funny you say that you'd see the ones that were the two day a weekers that they just throw in when the other guy had his weekend mm -hmm. and they'd be there just miserable. But they, I mean, and they'd be the most attentive motherfuckers. They were the ones that knew everything that was happening because they were the ones most scared they'd fuck the job up. 
the guys that were there five days a week be sleeping through the whole yeah. goddamn scenario. They'd already learned to dislike their job enough to forget about it. Well, I don't, and what's funny is I never had, I, I mean, I was eighth in my class graduating high school. I applied to Stanford, Brown, Dartmouth, all of it. Um, and <clears throat> I was pissed I didn't get into Stanford. I really wanted to go there. And uh, so I had every chance to fucking become a congressman. It was there if I wanted it. I just never wanted anything. Like, I never... I knew I didn't want to become a politician. That like, was full of shit. Yeah. But I never really wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Or, you know, I even got into law school. I had sent $2,200 tuition deposit to Boston College Law School in 1991, thinking I was going to go be a lawyer. And then I was so panicky. I mean, I remember my parents were coming out for graduation. And uh, my girlfriend... I mean, I just, it was the first time in my life I was like, I'm fucking things up. Mm. Like, it just, I, whatever, I'm, I'm doing what everybody wants me to do instead of what I want to do. I can feel it. And this is a time when I better fucking think about what I'm doing. And so, my parents are flying out on Friday, commencements on Saturday. And, uh, I, no, they flew out on Thursday because we spent Friday with them and then commencements on Saturday. Well, I spent that Wednesday in New Hampshire interviewing for uh, residents college, like, live-in um, advisor thing because I, w I thought I'd fail out of law school if I went. I'm like, I can't fail out of law school. So I take this job basically as a freshman babysitter up in a college full of rich kids in New Hampshire full of a bunch of dumbasses. I mean, these are the kids that just fucked their way through high school and their parents had enough money to send them somewhere. So I'm their live-in yeah. fucking housemate who's supposed to tell them not to do cocaine and fucking drink so much. I end up fucking like three of them. I'm <laughs> 22 years old. They're 17, 18, 19. Yeah. So, I was like, and then some friends of mine who are graduating. Like a life. Oh, it was, it was a fun year. And especially because I got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the group coming up behind me, I had two really good friends in the year behind me, and they were going to pack up a Toyota Corolla and move to Portland, Oregon for no reason, just to do it. I was like, fuck yeah, put me in the car. Let's go. Damn. And, Basically, what I did with my life. I don't know. Let's do that. And other than losing touch with myself because I kept trying to find some relationship therapy, I really like adventure. I mean, I, I wouldn't take it all back. I would just be more confident in myself the whole time through it. I can't even imagine what the potential was that I missed. Because I was too worried about you know, what other people thought or whether I was doing the right thing or what I was missing out on and what I should be doing the I'm lying to my parents telling them I'm doing something else, you know? Like, every layer of phoniness I ever felt necessary to protect my inner sensitive fucking this is who I really am self was wrong. Was, all those instincts are wrong. Even if they feel like the only thing they'll, that'll protect you, the truth is a way better place to be. And honestly, the end result is just feeling bad about yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering why you did it, yeah. who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, real, real existential questions. That can lead to a whole slew of shit you shouldn't be thinking. Which could lead to a whole slew of choices that you maybe shouldn't. Mm. Probably shouldn't be eating salad on a podcast, but fuck that. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Um, Alright. So, what do you think of the whole horse doctor feature? Are you confident with that? Are you liking it? Or are you just defaulting into something that you know is better than what you got? I'm liking it. I'm enjoying it. I'm actually, 
because I, I see that future not only it, it connects me in, in, into essentially an aspect of the world and the part of the world that I want to get to know more about that I've kind of got a taste of. Are you talking animals? Yes, but more like ranch style animals mm. because it's like I would I, I would love to work on a ranch. I would love to work you know a, a around cattle in the cattle industry, mm. especially something more progressive, something like free range cattle or high quality beef things like that. Uh-huh. Because I'm not I'm minoring in bovine herd health. Okay, so it's not equine. Um, so I wouldn't really doing much with horses. I would be making sure um, the herds of cattle, or I might even do bison, are, are healthy. And are you then, is that somewhat like, well, I'm a physics major, but molecular physics, so I don't know what you're talking about with that astrophysics. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty similar, pretty similar. Okay. I'd be, I'd be working in a different field. Yeah. Um, and is choosing something like that necessary right now, or is that just where your heart is? Um, I, after doing a lot of thinking, because I was originally going to go into biology and be a scientist, uh-huh. and that's when my heart changed. That's when I, because my, my main major is veterinary medicine, mm-hmm. meaning if I get tired of doing what I'm doing, I, because I, I why I wanted to be, get into being a vet is the end goal is to open my own practice, where I essentially help animals like your cat, you know, the ones <laughs> that got shot, and she needed all. The ones that nobody really cares for, or maybe a wild animal that got hurt, or maybe an animal that got hit, mm-hmm. hit by a car. That, that's the end goal, is to okay. be helping the things I want to help. Because, like, you know what makes you happy is helping people? Mm-hmm. I think people are shitty. Well, so yeah, I, I would, see that side of them. I would love to help animals, because I believe animals are, are really just purely innocent and good. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand that people think animals don't have emotions, don't have thoughts, don't go through an entire... Well, landscape of life one of the most satisfying things i ever did was uh i took a pigeon with a broken leg and i made a cast oh. for him and i kept him for three months as a kid or as an adult uh, as a uh, high school mm-hmm. yeah so i was like 17 but i was still living, living yeah on but my still own. man i mean I you're bringing something back yeah. to its to its full potential i know that feeling i did the same thing yeah let it let it fly again and when i released that pigeon that was one of one of the times i was truly happy with myself mm-hmm. So the end goal is to, to essentially, you know, to do that with, with a lot more animals. We've got a lot, a lot of opportunity. Plus, I love engaging with animals. I, love, I know a lot about them. I'd love to be very close to them. Well, it's funny. I definitely wanted to be a veterinarian my whole life until I realized I can't stand blood, surgery, the whole. Like, I was never going to be comfortable in an environment that involved the work. See, <laughs> but I'm, the instinct, I couldn't have been more on board with I'm very comfortable. I've spent a lot of time out in the woods, and, you know, I've hunted, you know, I've, I've gutted animals, I've gutted fish, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable with those things. Um, well, you sound like maybe you have a little bit of transition uh, static to work off your dial, but you are listening so much more to what's going to make you happy and letting it happen than me trying to fit into what I was told would be the happiest as if it was available. I mean, Instead of just being happy, I needed to be the happiest. My, my, Why? My issue is the end goal's there. The end goal's attainable. But can I keep it together, you know, and essentially achieve it? Well, it seems like that's a question we have to ask ourselves all the way through life to the very end. I mean, aren't we really always quarreling with what we want and whether or not we're up to the task to get there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. No matter who we're looking at and what we're up to. I mean, in some way, I suppose that's ultimately why we're here. is because those lessons matter. Or they make us feel like something inside us is becoming more something. I don't know. There's, there's a, a mystical quality to life that I don't think you get to have until you can look back on enough life and think, 
you forgive yourself for anything trivial. Like, you spend so much time in your youth trying to define yourself as who you are and in a society that's telling you this is who you are instead of allowing you to just be who you can be. That when you finally don't give a fuck anymore and can be who you can be, wherever that age is for you, for me it was a long time coming. Well, all of a sudden, life has its own rewards wherever you look. It's not working against you. It's wind in your sails. It's patting you on the back, telling you, way to go, way to figure it out, way to not give a shit about the stuff that everybody else told you was relevant. Yeah, it's finally finding your groove in life, you know? Mm. Stella got her groove back. Whatever that's about. Um, I don't have a whole lot left to say. I mean, I'm going to have to go think about our conversation for a week or two. But I would certainly love to have another chat over some weed. I mean, this could be a monthly, bi-weekly thing. I mean, just chilling out and smoking dope. Because, I mean, I always appreciate candor and good conversation. If nothing else, it gives me reflection points to either say, I really do believe that kindness is going to solve the universe. Yeah, most definitely. Maybe we could talk about, you know, some more good topics. I'm sure I can give some good stories as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we could dedicate a whole podcast to trying to one-up each other's stories. Oh, yeah, most definitely. <laughs> I'm not sure the world's ready for that. Um, anything else? Anything you want to say? Anything that um, you wish you hadn't said that we shouldn't have talked no, about? No, no, no. I feel like it's been a good time. Yeah. I don't think we right. even had to think about, what well, what are we doing here? Yeah. Why are we talking about that? Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed this conversation. Here. Listen, if I can talk about, I had this day at work, and I don't have days like this, but I was fucking horny. Like, I was like, I mean, John, you know what I'm saying? And I go to the bathroom, and I sit down, and there's like a drip of pre-cum coming out of my dick. I'm like, <gasps> God damn, dude, you gotta calm down. You nasty dog. So I'll talk about anything. But, again, if ever you feel like something that we've said publicly needs to be forever taken down, I'm like, I care. Of course I'll delete it. So I just want you to know that I don't think there's anything here that's anything other than enlightening, but it's your call always that it's out there. I'm telling you right now, I'm an open book, and I don't know fuck what I say or how I look or if I look stupid or if I say something, you know, or it's revealing. I don't care. Well, here, you know what I'm going to do This when it warms up? I'm going to start taking a table out to, like, public places, and I'm thinking, like, Confluence Park or somewhere with a sign that just says, Offering Friendship, Kindness, and Understanding. Not Friendship. Understanding, Kindness, and Forgiveness. Just see who steps up to actually talk to me. Who's willing to actually take that challenge and say, what are you doing? I'll say, well, try to find interesting people. Have a seat. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure it'd be a successful thing, too. Mm, I think one of the things I've gotten over is the idea that people are awful. I, I used to believe, just like you, most of my life. Now I say, I can find something likable in everybody. I can like everybody. I may not have to spend my rest of my life with you, but to think that I can't find something likable in you, I like everybody. There's nothing that I can't... I mean, I can name something I like about everybody we work with because I've stopped caring about how people give me friction and just figure, why why don't I just decide I really like how Jihan spends every lunch break and and 15-minute break, 
texting and talking to people in the Middle East. She's dedicated to her family in a way that I respect. Honestly, okay. I didn't know that. That makes me feel very good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you discover something you like about someone, live in that and love that about them. You're right. And like, think about that when they're having a bad moment. Why, right. why ever hold people to anything other than the things you like about them? You're right. You, you, you know what? Uh, I was actually I was watching a, a different interview, and it's right. It's like you should give everybody forgiveness, kindness, and understanding. I mean, I have an unlimited amount of it. It doesn't hurt me to give you all of it because I have more of it coming tomorrow. And exactly. And there will be way more solutions solved than problems, you know, than problems aroused. Than, right. Than, you know, and there will be static, but doubt. fuck it, man. Yes, exactly. What? People that did you wrong, people you even only believe deserve it. Take, yeah. Take the little things, you know. Yeah. I think and, it's important to say you're sorry. Well, and and don't be a welcome mat, but for fuck's sake, don't exactly. don't take everything seriously to the point that it's it's grudge worthy. I mean, nothing's grudge worthy. In life, you know, people at their worst are never going to be that again. So, fuck, you happen to be there. Think of them as someone who will always be better than that moment. I don't know. I just, I, and, and this was the kind of stuff that my fucking dreams were teaching me. They were teaching me to do this for myself first. They were like, you're the harshest critic. You're so harsh on yourself. You won't leave your fucking house. What's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? You have nothing to be sad about. Yeah, this is what these definitely. serious dream creatures are telling me. And I'm waking up thinking, God damn, I have to think about this shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> and pretty soon I'm like, happy. Like, overall, I just started thinking I'm taking the wrong cues and being too serious with them. I can stop that today. Hasn't, hasn't failed me yet. Yeah, and you're right. That's what I do need to change my perception of things. And, you know, take a more positive outlook on the world, especially well, with people. Listen, as... As a guy with a forgiving and sensitive heart, you'll find it easy to find the thing in someone you like. And then the rest of it, let them figure it out. Don't don't hold it against them. Just know that the world's static is something that we all have trouble with. Anyway, I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. What else? Anything? Should we shut this sucker down? Yeah, we can't.